Blog Talk Radio. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. Hi and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Our guest, Deborah Zimmerman, has been the executive director of Women Make Movies, a nonprofit New York-based film organization that supports women filmmakers since 1983. During her tenure, it has grown into the largest distributor of films by and about women in the world. WMM's internationally recognized production assistant program has helped hundreds of women get their films made. And films from WMM programs have been nominated for Academy Awards for the last eight years and have won some of those Academy Awards as well. Well, congratulations, Deborah. I really um, appreciate all the hard work and the dedication you have to supporting filmmakers, and we are honored to have you today. Oh, thanks so much. So let's get started. Why don't you tell us about some of your programs? Great. Thanks. First of all, Carol, I've been a fan of yours from afar, so I, I really am delighted to be here. Um, Women Make Movies is actually celebrating its 41st uh, anniversary this year. Uh, I kind of can't believe we've been around that long, but but we have. Um, and we've really been doing pretty much the same thing for most of those years. Um, we have two major programs, uh, our production assistance program, which as um, the intro said, has helped actually, at this point, thousands of women get their films made from concept to completion, and our distribution program, which distributes films which are by and about women uh, to audiences here in North America uh, and in some cases around the world. Um, I think we'll talk a bit about distribution later on. Um, But uh, our production assistance program um, is is a program that has been around for about 25 years. Um, and over those years, we have helped so many women um, get their films made, as I said before, from concept to completion. Um, women come to us uh, sometimes with just a short trailer, uh, sometimes with much more, sometimes in rough cut, and even lately uh, after films are completed uh, for us to help them raise uh, funding for their films. We actually don't do the the fundraising, um, but we do offer them fiscal sponsorship, which I'm sure you know is a is an integral part of the fundraising process. Um, we actually call our program Fiscal Sponsorship Plus, and that's why we call it a 
our production assistance program because it's not just fiscal sponsorship. Uh, we offer <laughs> workshops and seminars and consultations. We review proposals. We critique them. We look at your budget. We look at your trailer. We give you a critique on that. We make suggestions of, of where you could go for funding. Um, we have a, a very extensive uh, resource listing um, and offer networking opportunities as well as discounts with uh, industry vendors and recommendations for crew and um, other other personnel for projects. Um, we're really proud of, of the films that have gotten produced through the program. Some of the films uh, that have had most recent success include Laura Poitras' film Citizen Four uh, about Edward Snowden, which has won just about every documentary award this year uh, and certainly will be, it's on the short list for the Academy Award and certainly will be nominated. Um, also, Katie Chevigny and Ross Kaufman's film, The E-Team, uh, which was at Sundance last year, um, and Watchers of the Sky, another another Sundance film. Um, some other films are, just to give people an idea, the kinds of films that we work with are Gideon's Army by Don Porter and uh, Margaret Brown's wonderful film, uh, The Great Invisible. Oh, my gosh. What a wonderful body of work. Well, um, let's go back to this Citizen Four. Uh, mm-hmm. That's won all the awards. When she came to you, um, what stage, do you remember what stage she was in? Oh, well, we've been working with Laura, and this is actually quite um, quite typical. We've been working with Laura since her very first film, um, which goes back 12 years or so. Uh, it was a film called Flag Wars. Um, and to be honest, I don't remember the stage that she was in, but in general, uh, filmmakers, come, we, the, they come to us once they have the idea and once they've shot some material, because we feel that we are kind of the first, um, the first stumbling block in a way that filmmakers need to get beyond. Um, in order to raise money to get a film made, you need to have something in the can. Um, some filmmakers don't realize that. You know, it's very, very hard to get development money. If there are a few funders that actually fund uh, trailers for films, but generally, you really need to have gone out and shot some material. Um, so that's oftentimes the, the stage that people come to us in, where they've they've gotten their trailer done, they've done their research, um, and they're at the point where they really think that they can start raising money. Oh my gosh! Well, that's that's very good. So when you say uh, shot some material, enough to make a trailer, and what would you say, thirty, forty, fifty hours somewhere in there? Oh, it's it could be it could be much less. It can be much more. I mean, it's really about you know. And I think you know trailers. Let's, we could talk about trailers for a minute because yes. I think that people have very very different ideas of what trailers are. You know, some people think that you need to make a mini film. Um, and I've actually been in the situation where funders have said, "Well, why should we fund that film when the trailer works just great as a film?" <laughs> they kind of went <laughs> overboard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to me, what I want, and I've you know, I've sat on hundreds of of grants panels and uh, juries, and have looked at hundreds, thousands, and thousands of proposals and thousands of trailers. Um, what I want is something that's going to that's going to touch me, that's going to make me cry, that's going to make me laugh, that's going to make me have confidence that there is a story there, that there are characters there. Oftentimes, young documentary filmmakers don't realize that even though they're documentaries, they still need to have a narrative. There needs to be a story. And conversely, sometimes people think that 
if it's an important issue, they don't need to have real characters. Um, <laughs> right. You know, but you do need people that you can relate to and that your audience is going to respond to. So the trailer could be, you know, clips from a couple of interviews. Um, if they're strong interviews and if it looks if it looks decent um, and sounds decent, because I think filmmakers oftentimes forget about sound um, and they think that it's okay to have clanging going on in the background even in your trailer it is not okay <laughs> um right. we're looking we're looking for something that's going to give us confidence that that filmmaker is going to be able to make a good exciting interesting film and one that's going to have an audience and of course one that's going to be able to raise money exactly that's exactly because uh, the sound is something that is so often overlooked and uh with filmmakers they always seem to want to sc- Save money or scrape by uh, with the poor sound, and it won't work. That's that turns That's judges off quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can shoot your trailer with not the highest quality HD camera. You know, you can shoot it with a, a small camera. And in fact, it's it's interesting because my partner is a photographer who's coming out with a book of iPhone photos. Um, so, and he deeply believes that it's not the camera that makes the photo, it's the eye of the photographer. And I think it's the same thing for uh for for moving images. You know, you can shoot with a small camera, you know, as long as your framing is good. And you can put something on the trailer that says that this these are preliminary interviews that were shot, you know, in S D, not H D and the completed film will be in H D. Um but the sound it it really still needs to be it needs to be good and it needs to be thoughtful. Yes. And so once when they uh, submit their trailers, you review them and give them feedback, right? For mm-hmm. changes, yep. ideas. And the same thing yeah, and the same thing with their proposals. You know, it's really difficult to be a film, an independent filmmaker. You have to be able to do so many different things. It's really unfortunate, but it is really true. You need to be able to write a proposal. You need to be able to make a film. You need to be able to market the film. You need to be able to actually ask people for money. You know, all of those things are really, really different skills. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we think it's so important to offer uh, the workshops and seminars that we do that really teach filmmakers, you know, the specifics of how to write a proposal, how to approach a foundation, what kind of funding is out there, um, how to put together a budget, what are is- what are some of the issues that you might face in terms of, of uh, clearances, uh, legal issues. Um, we also have a... Um, a series that we call Meet the Industry, which is um, where we bring in people from uh, broadcasters or resource organizations or funders, um, and they come and they speak to they speak to the to the to about 30 people that we have uh, that attend the workshops, um, and they talk about what they're looking for in their particular areas, um, and it. it it's very intimate setting, so it gives an opportunity for the for the people who come to actually really get a chance to meet them and talk to them for a couple of minutes. Um, oh, that is superb, Deborah! Yeah, that is brilliant. It's I think it's it's been a real a real benefit for filmmakers. You know, um, last year we had a POV come in. We also had uh, somebody from Independent Lens. Uh, we had people from Tribeca, from the Tribeca All Access Program. Uh, in, we've had people from HBO. Um, really, just about every Catapult Films, Chicken and Egg Pictures, 
Um, this year we're having New York Women in Film and TV and talking about their, their grants program. Um, so it's just a great opportunity to kind of get an idea of what's out there um, and who are out there that can actually help you. Exactly, and know who the person is and what they have funded. So you you know truly if your project is aligned with that organization, which is the number one mistake a lot of people make. Absolutely. You know, I spend a lot of my time going around the world and meeting with filmmakers and at in meat markets or at pitching forums and talking with commissioning editors and funders. And it is absolutely the biggest complaint that they have of feeling like the filmmakers that approach them. And and I would say the same thing for me as well. Don't do their homework and don't understand what it is that we're looking for. I, I can't tell you how many filmmakers have approached us for distribution with films that are not about women when those are the kinds of films that we distribute. In our production assistance program, we're looking for films that are directed by women, they can be produced by men, they can be directed, co-directed by a man and a woman, but we need to see a woman as the director. So if somebody chases me around a festival to get a meeting and then I find out that, in fact, it's a male director, it, it really feels like a waste of my time and a waste of their time, and it makes me lose confidence in them as an effective producer. Exactly. Well, you've been on this track for a long time. Have you seen major improvements in uh, helping women become directors because of this one aspect of your company? Wow, I thought you were going to ask me something else, (laughs) which I was prepared to answer, which was the changes that I've seen in the funding environment, which I do think is worth talking about. You know, it's unfortunate that it is still so incredibly difficult for women. And, you know, there was an amazing article that was reprinted um, on on a website it was by a filmmaker named Lexi Alexander, um, and it was first printed in January, and it was just reprinted at the end of, of 2014. And, of course, it was just as true at the end of 2014. But, but what she said that, that really struck me is that we have never seen so many articles and so much press attention being given to the fact that of the inequality and the disparity for women, both in documentary and in fiction. Of course, it's it's much worse for women in fiction, but as Dawn Porter said at a conference on documentary that the IDA had, she said, look, you know, I'm really be- tired of being told that, that my position is better than terrible. <laughs> you know, I mean, and that is what documentary is. It, it is. It's better than terrible. Um, but the problem is, is that even though there's been all this press attention, there are still such barriers to change. Um, and I find it really, actually, I, I'm very pleased to hear that the ACLU is is actually getting involved, and they're looking for stories from filmmakers, and they're contemplating some legal action because these barriers have been there for a very long time, and there are people that are extremely invested in keeping them in place. Um, so, yes, of course it's gotten easier. When I started in 19... I came to Women Make Movies as an intern in 1978. You know, there was a handful of women making films, maybe 20. You know, mm-hmm. now there are hundreds, there are thousands. You can't go 
into any any minor or major city, and they're not there isn't a film by a woman screening in the theater. Um, but at the same time, you can actually go to a film festival and see that maybe a tenth of the films that are screening are by women, or Conversely, in those theaters, one out of every ten films is by a woman, and that is just not enough when women represent fifty percent of the po- more than fifty percent of the population. Right, absolutely. But what you're doing is so important because it makes us all wake up and and realize the facts out there. And the, and I'm sure that you have made a late a major contribution uh, through the women that you've supported and nurtured along the way. I think this this is one of the things you do that is very important to to all of us. I find when in our grant submission, Deborah, that we had seventy percent women and really thirty percent. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's really fascinating because oftentimes we're told that, in fact, I just heard this from a funder that they were, and it was a woman who was the program director, and she said, you know, I I actually noticed um, how few women there were that applied for our funding, and I realized that we have to do better outreach because that shouldn't be. So it's, but you know, Carol, I have a feeling that you get 70% women because there's a sense about what you're doing that actually I think is very feminist in terms of the way that you help projects. And even even the name of your company, you know, it's it's emotive. <laughs> and women tend to be much more engaged with emotions than men are. So I'm really not surprised. Um, <laughs> Maybe unfortunately, it's partly I, that. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think it's the same everywhere. Um but you know, going back to the the impact that we've had, I, I do I do want to say that I am very proud. You know, some of the filmmakers that we've worked with early in their careers, you know, including somebody like Laura Poitras, who's now gone on to make four amazing documentaries and has had such an impact with her film. But Kimberly Pierce, uh, Boys Don't Cry, is actually a film that that started at in the Women Make Movies program. We were able to help her get a grant for script development. Um, Lisa Cholodenko, who made The Kids Are All Right, and just recently Olive Kittridge on uh, the series on HBO, was was a work-study student here. Um, One of my former assistants, I just found out, is in the the new uh, Sundance Sundance Director's Lab um, with her new script. Um, And... You know, there's just so many, so many filmmakers all over the world who have either had their films distributed by us or um, who we've helped to get their films made. So it's it's really, it's been a real joy in my life uh, to see it's that happen. It's very rewarding, isn't it? It's really rewarding, and and somehow it compensates for the missed um, Saturday afternoons, get, chilling out because you're working uh, on uh, uh, your one of your events or mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. you know the weekends, the night and all the time that you give up to devote to yeah. this this company, uh, Women Make Movies, it's just, it all comes back to you when somebody achieves something and they they seem to be pulling other people with them when they do that. I think they keep uh, opening up uh, the opportunity for more documentary women to move forward and with great success. Yeah, I, I, I do too. I mean, there this notion, you know, we were talking, you know, I'll just, I'll be honest and say we were talking a little bit before the program started. And, you know, this whole idea of of networking is so important for 
actually not just women, but for all filmmakers. Um, and we're a firm believer here that it's very, very important to be generous with information and to be um, aware that everyone is a resource. When I, when I do workshops, I oftentimes start and I say, you know, the person to the right of you and the person to the left of you has just as much information as I do up here. Um, and if we can all share our information, we're all stronger for it. Um, you know, I I am such a fan of Dawn Porter. I already mentioned her before, the filmmaker of Gideon's Army. Um, she's somebody who has said that she really got her start by coming to our workshops um, and now has come back and done a master class for us and was really incredibly generous with the with the filmmakers that were that were there um giving tremendous amounts of information about how she got started and how she was able to she actually went from being a lawyer to being a filmmaker uh and now has an agent and is getting work uh directing uh in you know for the industry as well as making her own independent films um so it's it's great to see that happen Well, and, and also, when people do share, like what you were just talking about, they mm-hmm. also open up a conversation, a sense of connection that helps bring people together and and find ways to work together. There are a lot mm-hmm. of collaborations that have come out of simply sharing information. Uh, do you believe that's so? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I mean, one of the things that I that I tell filmmakers when they're trying to to raise money for it, you know, if they're straight off from the start, is one of the most important things is developing relationships with the industry and with other filmmakers. Um, I I remember being on a panel with a filmmaker named Ella Troiano, and she was talking about how she went to go see a film. She was in line for buying a ticket and she just started talking to the person it was at a film festival she just started talking to the person standing next to her well it turned out that he was the programmer from the berlin film festival and (laughs) she was able to send her film to him and that actually launched her film in a major way on the festival circuit um so you know my kind of first tip for filmmakers in terms of producing is to get involved with the independent film world, with the community. Go to festivals. Um, develop those relationships early on with distributors, with broadcasters. Um, do that by being a film goer. Watch films and talk to people at festivals about the films. You know, going to Sundance without even having a film there is a wonderful way to get an education. Um, and there's so many stories about the conversations that happen on the buses that move between the venues at Sundance. Um Enter into pitching pitching forum opportunities and meet markets. Um, it's another great way to begin developing those relationships. Um, and don't forget that this is a, another kind of tip that I always give filmmakers. You know, I remember back in the day at the um, independent feature project market, we would have badges that had different colors on them. And sometimes guys would walk by and they'd see my blue badge, which meant buyer, and they'd come running over to me. And then they'd <laughs> see women make movies and they'd walk away <laughs> because I couldn't help them. Um, you know, and that's such a mistake because every person that you meet in some way can be of help to you and you can be of help to them. 
Um, and sometimes it's the people that seem the less, least important in the room that actually are the ones that are going to be able to help you more than the people who are the influential buyers, who have the money, who are the funders, whoever they are. Um, so being in those situations um, and taking advantage of, of that is, I think, extremely important. It is, Deborah. It's who you know in this industry, and uh, because I was uh, 33 years, you know, in the motion picture industry, running my company, and some of the guys that um, were salesmen, uh, uh, like Bud Stone, became the president of major corporations, and it was so right. much fun to uh, be able to pick up the phone and call the president of the company or the guy that I really started out with as a salesperson became the head of Maxell, and uh, exactly. It was wonderful because we all we all deserved where we were. We worked hard to get there, but to to go straight to the top when you wanted something was always a benefit in my world. And this is what filmmakers need to know: you never know what tomorrow will bring in our field. Totally. You know, another thing that I tell filmmakers, and sometimes they don't believe it, but it, it really is true. You know, first of all, you know, if you're making a film on a certain subject, it's so important to see other films on that subject and get educated about what films are out there. I mean, that's going to help you in so many ways because, you know, it will enable you to actually put into your proposal why your film is different than other films that have already been made on the subject. But my actual secret tip is to look at the credits and see who funded that film. Because oftentimes, that's where you can start in terms of looking for funders for your film. But here's the part that people don't believe, is that you can contact the filmmaker of that film and ask them for advice and sometimes contacts. Because, you know, not every filmmaker continues to make films on the same subject. And when you're talking about getting financed or funded to make a, docu a social issue documentary, you know, oftentimes you're talking about going to foundations. Well, you know... A filmmaker makes a film about the criminal justice system and then maybe makes the next film about the environment. Well, they have those contacts of those funders that are really only interested in the criminal justice system and sometimes will share those contacts because they're actually looking for funding now on a film on the environment and maybe they'll get some help from a filmmaker who made a film on the environment a couple of years ago. Um, so, you know, it kind of you're killing two birds with one stone when you do that kind of research in terms of looking at the films that have been made um, and kind of becoming part of that community. Um, oh, I think that is brilliant advice. Brilliant. I saw Barbara Trent, uh, Trent one time give some of the footage that she didn't use in one of her films to another filmmaker. I mean, she had gone through a lot of work to get some uh, archival footage that she didn't use, and she gave it to him, and that saved him so much time and money. And um, uh, this is, and when she makes films now, she's making a lot about anti-war. She puts at the end of her films other resources, and she puts other filmmakers and their films and how to reach them. Yeah, that that is that's brilliant. That's great, and I think that's a really great example of kind of ge the kind of generosity of spirit that I think is so important um, in terms of the independent film community. Um, and it's funny that you mention resources because I think that that's another. It's kind of another area that is really important for filmmakers to think about um, in a number of different ways. You know, first of all, there are many resources out there, and filmmakers sometimes feel very isolated. Um, a 
again, it's important to be part of the community so that you don't feel so isolated and so that you're more aware of those resources. You know, signing up for newsletters, you know, looking at IndieWire every day is really important, or Variety or other industry industry uh, newsletters. Being a member of organizations like Women in Film or uh, Union Docs here in New York or you know, whichever whichever kind of, or the Black Documentary Collective. Um, there are so many organizations out there that can actually really help. Um, but also resources in terms of developing relationships with the groups that are working on the issue of your film. One of the best uh, tips that I ever heard was when somebody from... Um, I'm playing on her name from the MacArthur Foundation came and did a workshop for us. And what she told uh, the people there was that if you want to get a grant from the MacArthur Foundation, you need to develop relationships with the grantees that they give money to in the area of your film. So, excuse me, if, for, for example, I don't think that, that uh, MacArthur Foundation funds homelessness, but let's say that they did, you know, you would want to develop a relationship with their grantees that they were funding to do work around homelessness because those are uh, organizations that they trust because they've given money to them. So, you know, this whole idea of relationships um, is, again, really important in this arena in terms of how you're able to approach that foundation from the perspective of being connected in some way to people that they are already involved with. Um, again, it also is developing that base of an audience that you're going to use later on when you're going into the distribution process um, because you've done your homework, because you've done your research, because you've outreached to those groups. You've learned excuse me, what kind of film it is that they need to get their work done and how does your film fit into that universe. Um, so, uh, yeah, resources and relationships, the two, the two big R's of, of, uh, of, of film financing. <laughs> R&R, R, yes, and uh, because nowadays um, some of the people are using, they go out to um, conventions that are on uh, their topic and where they can find 5,000, 10,000 people and take a booth or share a booth with someone, get to know people, give them their cards and pitch their film, and that comes back to them in their crowdfunding. Oh, very interesting. You know, we've been doing that. We've been going to conferences and utilizing conferences and their mailing lists and their memberships for years and years and years in distribution. But I never thought about doing that in the, in the fundraising uh, part of the process, which is really interesting. Yes. Yeah, I think, you know, I think crowd crowdsourcing as a crowd fundraising as a, a concept and as a practice is actually one of the really big changes and really positive changes that have happened in the in the funding universe in the last 5 years. Um you know, again it's a, it's a personal experience but um and it's been echoed so many times with filmmakers that we've worked with, but my partner is a photographer. His first book was published through a crowdfunding campaign, and he built his audience base through that, that Kickstarter campaign. Um, it's really the beginning of, of reaching those people and keeping in touch with them and letting them know about your progress. Um, and yes, they are. That is, that is your first audience when, when you're done. 
Yes, and keeping in touch, Deborah. That's uh, this is what a lot of people don't do. They grab the money and they run, but those people are there to support you. Um, I did four um, campaigns with one woman who said, "I need over a hundred thousand." I said, "How many names do you have?" And she said, "Not many." So I said. Okay, let's divide it into camp. Well, let's do three campaigns. Well, we actually did four, and we got her over a hundred thousand. Fantastic! How'd you do that? Yeah. Well, we took what she had. We worked hard with what she had. We expanded it through all kinds of uh, tr- uh, games. You know, we used a lot of game mechanics and saying there's a, a reward. We're going to give you the $150 reward if, for the person who forwards the most emails this week. Oh, great. Great. And we played all kinds of games that if you um, give 500, you get your name permanently listed on the website as the silver donor and the gold and the platinum donor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we just use what the airlines are using, kind of like their uh, ways that you get on the plane faster and you save your miles. We took some of those ideas and put them back into use for crowdfunding. And because people want to be part of something greater than themselves, and they look at you as a filmmaker to take them there. Yes, I think that's really, really true. You know, it's it's also interesting because we, we were talking about keeping people posted. You know, it, it's such an important part of this process. And again, it's true in so many ways. You know, another relationship that filmmakers need to have is with their fiscal sponsor. Um, and as I said before, that's really a key part of Women Make Movies production assistance program. And I, I don't know that there's anybody who's listening that doesn't know what a fiscal sponsor is, but basically it's a 501c3 uh, organization, a nonprofit charity that is able to receive donations from individuals um, that then makes those do- donations tax deductible. There are also many government agencies and foundations that cannot give money to individuals. They need to go through a fiscal sponsor. And I bring this up in the context of of being kept posted because we work with a lot of projects, but the ones that are really successful are oftentimes the ones that keep us posted on their progress and develop a, a strong relationship with us because we're in touch with Lots of people who are interested in funding documentaries. If we know that a film is at a certain point, we can then point them in that right direction. Um, Again, I think that that filmmakers tend to to get very isolated, and it's important to reach out um, and to let the people that have been supporting you know where you're at with the project. Um, And, of course, this is so true for for crowdsourcing and for for Kickstarter campaigns. you know, one thing I do want to mention just in terms of, of another tip has to do with fiscal sponsors. There are great film organizations like Women Make Movies all over the country that offer fiscal sponsorship, like IDA in Los Angeles, um, uh, IFP here in New York. Um, but I, I do generally suggest to filmmakers that they that they use an organization that is a film organization as opposed to any organization that's a a charity can act as your fiscal sponsor. And again, I'll use the example of a a film about homelessness. Um, You know, if some filmmakers might go to a place like the Coalition for the Homeless or the National Association Against Homelessness, 
Um, but what can happen if they act as the fiscal sponsor is that there gets to be confusion as to whose film this actually is. Is it the film of the sponsor or is it the film of the filmmaker? And when they're going for grants, there might be competition between the organization and the film project because they might be going to the same funders. So it's a much better idea to go with an organization to find a fiscal sponsor that actually has experience in fiscally sponsoring films, that knows about copyright, the fact that filmmakers should always retain the copyright, um, the fact that there should be a distinction between the filmmaker and the organization, um, and you know other other regulations that should be written into the contract between the filmmaker and the fiscal sponsor. So it's Absolutely. just another another tip that I that I offer. Yes, and, and a lot of people don't even think about that, but that is so important uh, because the, how could um, how can someone uh, help you with your film and your film funding needs and uh, your trailer and your proposal and your pitch when they um, they're trying to learn themselves? In other words, right. th- that is not their forte. And and different you know different fiscal sponsors are able to offer different things and not all actually offer you help and that might be better you know you might want to go to a fiscal sponsor that has the lowest possible percentage um, and but really is not going to look at your proposals is not going to be able to offer you any other benefits um, there's you know fractured atlas is a fantastic resource for artists of all genres. Um, they work with filmmakers, they work with visual artists, they work with theaters, dance, photographers. Um, but it's it's a very basic fiscal sponsorship. Um, and what they do, they do very, very well. But they're not the right fiscal sp- sponsor for somebody who feels that they really need more assistance, community, help, critique, cons- you know, constructive criticism or uh, suggestions on where to go for funding. Um, yes, but again, yes. and for, yeah, it's sorry, sorry but constructive criticism is one of the most important things I think that a fiscal sponsor can do because too many people will look at your work and say, "Oh, that's wonderful," and then and they and not give you the truth, and somebody yes. has to. That is so true. That's it, and it's actually, I would say, one of the hardest things. Um, that we have to do those of us who are in the position in the positions of helping filmmakers because nobody really wants to hear that something isn't working they want it they want that kind of positive reinforcement um but being able to say you know i think you need to rethink this i think it's convoluted or confusing or you know it's you're trying to cram too much uh into one hour um have you thought about making it longer or generally actually have you thought about making it shorter because there's very <laughs> few films i hate to say this but there's very few films that i've seen that couldn't be shorter um and i think that that's not just me i think it's a kind of general general comment that those of us who see a lot of documentaries will say um but you know actually that that brings me to a whole other issue which has to do with thinking about distribution when you're in production uh and the length of a film is really really important depending on what kind of audience you're going to reach i i generally tell filmmakers that you know the time to start thinking about distribution is at the same time that you start thinking about the film at the very very same time 
you know, and I think that things have changed a lot in the last 10 years in terms of people getting more interested in outreach from a funder's perspective and from a filmmaker's perspective, that people are, in fact, thinking about distribution in production a lot more. People used to think, you know, you think about distribution when you're done with the film. Well, that's way too late because films, different kinds of films need to be made for different kinds of audiences. You know, one of the one of the funniest things is when somebody comes to me and says, I'm making this film because I think it's really important for kids to see, and it's a 90-minute film. Well, you know what? K through 12, the classes are not, they're not even 60 minutes long. You need to make a film that's really under 40 minutes, probably under 30 minutes, if you expect to get it out to that market. Or yes. filmmakers saying, I want to get my film on television, and it's a 30-minute film. Well, that's not going to work, because most TV broadcasters don't show films that are that are 30 minutes long. Um, so really thinking about who is the intended audience and what is going to be the best vehicle to reach them is really, really important while you're in production. You know, my friend uh, Dave Basile was ex-president of Anchor Bay, and he had his own production company. Uh, I mean, sorry, distribution company. And he would say to me that when people would come in, that was his biggest complaint. He'd say, who did you make this for? Oh, well, everybody, they would say. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Because he, what he would do is he would take people on with good scripts and say, yes, I'm interested, but you have to tell me who the market is. Go, go away, come back, tell me what you think your market is. Because he wanted people to give them names. He would he did mostly features, and he would say, "Is uh, this market is for the soccer mom in Indiana? This film is for the six pack Joe in Florida." And <laughs> so, he, and he would give them names. No, I th- it's it's so incredibly important. I always one of the things that I say to filmmakers is, you know. Every film has an audience, but not every film has a market. You know, and when I say that, I mean that audiences can be anybody. Audiences can be your grandmother. It can be your friend sitting around in, in a living room. It can be, you know, whoever it is that you can gather around to watch your film. But a market is groups of people that are going to come together in some way and utilize your film in some way. And of course, I'm talking about documentary now, as I'm always talking about. I generally we work with with documentary. Fiction is different. But even as you're saying with with your friend, even with fiction, you need to be aware what segment of the of the audience are are you looking for? Um, exactly. Because everyone is not an answer. You know, who do you want? To, it's exactly what you said. I hate to repeat it, but yeah, I, I say to filmmakers, I meet with them and I say, okay, like you know, who who do you think is the audience for your film? Everyone. Well, everyone's not an answer, <laughs> and I can't really work with everyone. But you know, another thing that that actually for me is a thread kind of through production and distribution is a kind of famous, or I won't say famous, but something that I've been saying for a very long time, and that's that there are three things that you can get out of making a film, and that is fame, fortune, or a good conscience. And, you know, there's no, for me, there's no moral hierarchy there. You know, it's fine to say I'm making this film because I really need to make back the money that I put into it, or I'm making this film because I want to make money, you know. But that's different than saying I'm making this film because I want to 
develop my career as a filmmaker, which is the fame part of it. You know, I want to use this as a way to make it easier for me to make my next film, to be able to get grants if I self-finance the first film, um, to really build my career, to be able to go to film festivals and get awards. And that's different than making a film because there's an audience out there, a particular community group or a group of people that really need this film a human rights film, a film about a particular social issue, uh, an environmental issue that you really want to change public opinion on. I heard the most amazing, fantastic story about uh, Blackfish, um, the film that that, uh, was about SeaWorld and its treatment of orca whales. It was on NPR this this last week about kind of, you know, what what happened in 2014. And they were talking about how that film really changed SeaWorld's um, way of treating their whales. Well, that's incredibly important. Um, yes. But to have that in mind, that that's what's, that is what you're looking for from this film is really important. And there are all kinds of decisions that, you know, if, if your film is incredibly successful, you oftentimes will get all those three things. You know, certainly Laura is going to get all those three things with, with Citizen Four. But there's times when you need to choose between the two. Um, and I always uh, give as an example... There was a film that we were distributing um, called Enemies of Happiness, and it was about uh, the first woman member of parliament in Afghanistan. Her name was Malalaya Joya. And the film won uh, Best Documentary in its category at the International Documentary Film Festival in Amsterdam. And it also went to Sundance, and it won Best World Documentary at Sundance. So at that point, the film had kind of gotten the filmmaker the kind of of reputation that she wanted, which was great. She was very happy about that. And we had to create a a festival strategy post-Sundance. So we had offers from the Tribeca Film Festival, from the New York Human Rights Film Festival, and from Silver Docs. And most people would say that, well, Tribeca is the next big, big festival, so of course you should, you should go to Tribeca. But in fact, what was really important to her was to give Malalaya Joya a platform and for her to be able to have impact on what was going on in Afghanistan. And we were able to get uh, the Human Rights Festival in New York to work with Silver Docs in D.C. and to come up with the money to bring Malalaya from Afghanistan in New York, the festival was able to get her a meeting, which I was very, very honored to be able to attend with the editors of the Wall Street Journal, um, wow. who heard for the first time from Malalaya that Hamid Karzai was corrupt. Um, they were quite shocked. Uh, in D.C., she was able to get meetings. Silver Docs helped her to get meetings with two congresspeople. Um, and I love that filmmaker for being very clear that at that point, it wasn't as important for her or for the film to go to Tribeca. It was more important for us to be able to to get Malalaya here. And, by the way, the kinds of audiences that go to see the film at the Human Rights Film Festival in New York were exactly the kinds of audiences that we wanted to reach in terms of our marketing campaign um, and really help to get the film out, which, of course, then brought in more money for the filmmaker. So it was a, a nice a nice circle, but a great example of, of how you need to think about all those three things um, when, you're, when you're deciding on a distributor, when you're deciding on a distribution strategy, when you're deciding on a festival strategy, um, and when you're thinking about why you're making the film in the first place. 
So it's money, fame, and consciousness? What did you say? It's what was fame. Third? No, it's fame, fortune, fortune. and a good conscience. Mm-hmm. And a so good conscience, fa- right. And a good conscience, yeah. Well, I totally agreed. See, when people apply for my grant, I, t- I ask them, I want them to tell me, why are you making this film? And if it's for money, that's okay. If it's to break into the film industry, that's okay. Just tell me the truth. What's going on here? And this is exactly what you're saying, because this is what pays off in the long run, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, another. you said something before that also made me think about... Um, about another way that filmmakers can be really smart. Um, and you said something about, I think it was about um, uh, um, oh, the filmmaker who gave her outtakes to other filmmakers. Yes. You know, one of the things that, one of the films that we've worked with that I think was very successful in terms of, and by the way, you know, just before I go there, I just want to sidetrack for one second and say, some of the films that we distribute that are the very most successful are not the films that have won all the big awards, are not the films that have gone to major film festivals, but are films that are really needed and that have a very particular market. You know, we have a film called about, well, we have a film about, excuse me, African-American women in the civil rights movement. Very, very important, uh, missing from uh, a lot of the textbooks and a lot of the materials that are available on the civil rights movement. Um, And it's a film that's been incredibly successful for the filmmaker and for us. But it's not one of those big kind of marquee named uh, documentaries. Um, But what I was thinking about was this other film called Sin by Silence, which is um, another film that didn't do the big festival circuit, but a very strong film about domestic violence. And the filmmakers were very, very smart because what they did was they created a DVD that had that took their outtakes and they created modules, like bonus material, for an educational version of the film. So, for example, there was a part that was on order of protections. There was a part that was on the medical profession. And there was another part that was on the courts. And these modules, some of them were extended versions of what was already in the film. Other were parts that they just couldn't work into the film. But those modules really helped us to create an audience in educational institutions for the film and with community groups. They also did an incredible outreach campaign. They got funding from uh, some of their original funders and from others to really do an outreach campaign with community groups. And we worked very closely with them to make sure that that outreach campaign also had to do with actually selling the DVDs and making sure that the film was continuing to be used after the outreach campaign. Well, well, stay stay on the outreach campaign, please, Deborah, and tell us some more about that and and uh, what you really recommend people do when they for outreach. You know, I think I do want to say that it's another one of those changes that um, I was thinking of in terms of what's changed in the last five to ten years. You know, there's been this incredible focus now on outreach, which I think actually is very, very good, but also very difficult. You know, filmmakers, again, are asked to do so much. And now being asked to do transmedia components and outreach components, you know, is is it's really adding on a lot to the project. However, it's really important for filmmakers to understand that when they approach a foundation for funding, or even when they're making a film because they care about a particular issue, if the film doesn't get out, what good is it? 
You know, so they need to be able to articulate in their proposals how is this film going to get out to the audience. And doing an outreach campaign is one of the ways of doing that. There are many ways that you can do that. But again, it all starts with making sure that you are making this film not in a vacuum, but in relationship to the community groups that are already working on this issue, who are going to be the ones that are going to want to use the film once it's finished, and whose lives are going to be affected by the film. Um, Some filmmakers will actually work with a group that does outreach, particular kinds of outreach. There are many of them. Um, Others will go to a distributor like Women Make Movies that does a lot of outreach and a lot of community outreach with our films. Um, Others will just say, you know, I want to work with a broadcaster who's really going to be able to do that kind of outreach. And that's actually a good analogy. So, you know, a broadcaster like POV is an amazing, amazing opportunity for filmmakers to connect to those audiences. HBO has a fantastic brand, and they do a great job in what they do, but that's not their specialty, you know? Their specialty is more getting it to individuals, not so much, um, and getting the kind of publicity that a film gets, but not so much the kind of marketing and outreach that really sustains educational distribution. Um, So, you know, again, it all goes back to what is it that you want to see happen and really thinking about it and thinking about what partners are going to be able to get you there. Um, But certainly having that be part of your proposal when you're fundraising is is really important. Um, And talking to other filmmakers about what they've done and how they've done it is also really key. You know, nobody likes to talk more about distributors and festivals and outreach people and publicists in a good and a bad way than other filmmakers. (laughs) And I'm always amazed when filmmakers take on a sales agent. I just spoke with somebody this morning, and I was shocked. The sales agent that they chose, I think, happens to be just extremely wrong for that particular film. Mm -hmm. And... They never talked to anybody who had, had worked with, with that person um, or signs on with, a, with a, a broadcaster who does not have a great reputation in terms of allowing filmmakers to have input into the marketing campaign and ends up, ends up with a marketing campaign that really doesn't reflect what they want as a filmmaker. Um, so, you know, again, it goes back to research, relationships, um, and thinking ahead, you know, thinking about what it is that, that you want to get out of the film. Exactly. I know I've seen so many uh, people who choose the wrong distributor, and, uh, and and after six or eight months or a year, they're begging to get the film back because nothing's happening yeah. with it. Yeah. No, it's really, it's very sad. You know, the problem is is that distribution contracts really do not favor filmmakers. They're written to favor distributors. It's it's a, a unfortunate fact. You know, our contract we try to write in as plain English as possible, um, and we have a shorter length than other dis- some other distributors. Um, but it is true that it's very hard to get out of a distribution contract, and the reason for that, and maybe it will help if filmmakers understand why, is because a distributor does all of that work on marketing the film. You know, for example, if you open a film theatrically, you do all the work before it even you even have any idea what the box office is going to be. So you need time to make back the costs that you put into it. 
You know, when we pick up a film, we spend generally six months developing materials, uh, figuring out reviewers, doing a film festival strategy, um, writing copy, uh, making sure the images are the images that we want to be the image for the film. You know, we'll get involved with films at very different parts, at very different times in, in their life. There are some films that we'll begin with at the very, very beginning, and we're the ones that are actually trying to help it get into Sundance or get into Berlin or get into another launching festival. There are other films that we'll pick up when we go to film festivals and we'll see a film. For example, Private Violence is a film that we're releasing this year. And regarding Susan Sontag, another one. Um, oh, my to, gosh, that's one of the best films I've seen in years. Isn't Susan it? I Sontag. Think it's wonderful. Yes. Sontag oh, that, is that took editing to a whole new level. I could not agree more. I think it is a brilliant film. I think it's a brilliant portrait of Susan, and we're absolutely thrilled that we'll be distributing it. Um, Oh, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Um, What I was going to say is that that with Private Violence, it was a film that was at Sundance last year, and we're now releasing it this year. Both those films actually showed on HBO. So we're getting involved at the latter part, and we're developing that kind of outreach campaign and educational campaign, whereas with other films, we'll get involved in the very beginning. Um, And to be honest, I hate to say this, but I lost my train of thought as to what we started out talking about. (laughs) It doesn't matter. I'm just learning so much. You know, it's so wonderful because you think you know a lot, but listening to you, you are so concise. You have it all clearly defined. It's what's needed. And uh, I can see why people want you all over the world on panels because you've got it. You've got it down pat, Deborah. Well, thank you very much. I, you know, if I didn't, I have to say, if I didn't, after this many years, there'd be something wrong with me. <laughs> But, you know, I also do think that it goes back to our very first conversation about um, about generosity. You know, I really do believe that the more that I give, the more I get. Um, the more we all give, the more we get. And that information is, is free, you know. People tend to be very secretive. They can be. Let's just say some people can be very secretive, and they can hold on to bits of information because they think that that will make them uh, be a bit ahead of the game. And I just couldn't disagree more, you know. I think the more you put out there, the more it comes back to you. Um, and I I really love helping people. So, um, yeah, so I'm glad that I'm able to. Oh, thank you so much, because we uh, generosity of spirit is truly one of uh, the things that we all know and love about you, and we sincerely thank you for all that you do for uh, the filmmakers in this world. You're making a major shift in the consciousness of the planet with the product that you're producing. Thank you for that. Thank you. And thank so you how so can much. people find you? Let's uh, give uh, tell oh, your website oh. and everything. Yes, we have a website. It's w. Uh, mm.com. Although we're a nonprofit, we got a, 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 a website very early on, and we chose .com because I didn't think anybody knew what a .org was. <laughs> <laughs> so it's wmm.com. Uh, we're here in New York uh, at on 29th Street. Um, if you want to come see us, 
please let us know in advance. You can email us at info at wmm.com. Please look on our website. We have a newsletter called News You Can Use uh, that has information on upcoming grants and festivals and news about the films that we're releasing and the films that we've helped to to get made through our production assistance program. You can sign up for that uh, on, on our website. We also have a tremendous resource section of information for filmmakers who are trying to get their films made of, of funders and uh, propo- sample proposals and just all kinds of information. Um, so I really encourage you to, to look at our website. We're in the middle of working on revamping it and freshening it up because its design is not the best. It's quite old, but the information is is really is really good. Oh, thank you very much. We really appreciate all you've shared with us today and best of luck to you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks. Be well, everyone. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.